0: Tenth of God's love they would be able to be rooted and grounded in His love and that is something that is relevant for each one of us right we, would, we want to know more and more about God's love and so that we also can be rooted we can be um, grounded in God's love you know the basis of why we love is because God loved us you know the basis of why we love is because God loved us, and if you see, um, if we see the last verse uh, of the last chapter in the last week's sermon, what it what what does it says? It says like that. Go uh, and um, it says we uh, forgive for God in Christ forgave us. Okay, we forgive because God in Christ forgives us. And that is how Paul actually transitions into the next verse. If you see the next verse, uh, we are going to read verse 1 and the uh, second verse, first part. It says, therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love. Okay, so the verb imitate or uh, imitation, it it means, simply means that um, we need to follow after God and follow after God's uh, footpaths. That's how the, uh, you know, the first century Jewish uh, culture uh, put that word. It's basically to emulate, you know, or to follow after. So what is Paul here encouraging us to emulate? What is Paul encouraging us to follow after? And that's what, you know, the last verse of um, of the last chapter says, um, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul is exhorting us to forgive Has God forgave? We remember, right in the last sermon, just to for everybody to recollect, Paul was talking to the Ephesians, and he was telling them to put off their old selves. He told them, "Put off your old selves and put on the new self." Right, and as part of that, he says he tells very practical things that we should be doing. And the last one was, you know, forgive others, forgive one another, has God in Christ forgave you. And so basically what Paul is trying to tell us here is we need to imitate God. You know, we need to imitate God in forgiving one another. Has God in Christ forgave us? Now, how much should we forgive, right? That's a question that can come to our hearts. How much should we forgive? How much did God forgive us? He forgave us all our sins, right? He forgave us our, our past sins, our present sins, even the sins we are going to we are going to do in the future. God forgives all our sins and that is how much we are called to forgive. You know, now think about this, you know, one of the most tangible ways of displaying love is by showing forgiveness each and every time somebody offends us, right? Any time somebody offends us, when we showed uh, forgiveness, that is displaying love, isn't it? So Paul is trying to say here that, you know, we show love by showing forgiveness. And this display of love, um, especially in a self-sacrificial way, is what, tra- what Paul is trying to uphold or he's trying to give this as the lofty example that we all should follow. We should follow God's footstep in loving By forgiving. You know, and then Paul just doesn't end there. Okay, Paul adds on. He says, has beloved children. You know, if you see the second part of that verse, has beloved children. You know, just as it is natural for us, just as it's natural for us as children to imitate our parents, so also it is natural, it should come naturally to us that we as children of, of our heavenly Father should imitate God, right? And how do we imitate God? By showing genuine love and showing genuine forgiveness. You know, this continuous display of love for one another is basically the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Look at, the, look at God, you know, abundant self-sacrificial love was in the very nature of God Himself. And Paul is now calling us, okay, Paul is now calling us to imitate God and display the likeness of the Father, to imitate God, display the likeness of the Father, just as the Lord Jesus showed us how to do, right? The Lord Jesus himself is that example. He has shown us how to do. And that is exactly how Paul transitions into verses 2, where he is going to show us the love of Christ. Okay, so in verse uh, uh, Ephesians 5, 2, we are going to see the love of Christ. So let's read the verse. And walk in love. Has Christ loved us and gave himself up for us? a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the word again, walk in love. Again, you know, how we have to imitate God, right? We have to imitate God specifically by loving, right? Having a lifestyle of love. And, you know, as we read this verse, okay, we are going to see a twofold love of God, okay, a twofold love of Christ. One, Christ's love for us by giving, his sac- uh, by giving himself has a sacrifice for us, an atoning sacrifice. So, love for us, and we see a second love is love for the Father, right? Love for the Father because, because the self-sacrifice that the Lord Jesus did, that sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to to God the Father and so we see here a twofold love you know if we dissect this verse okay we can see um, you know i can i i could take out four important points out of it and so let's just call this four points out the first is it is not just that christ loved us but that he also gave we see here There is an action towards his love. Just imagine this, okay? If God said from above, you know, I love you, but he didn't do anything to save us, would that mean anything for us? No, it would not mean anything. And so we see the Lord Jesus, not that he only talked about his love for us in the Bible, but he also had an action. And that very action of self sacrifice is the demonstration of God's love for us. Okay, it's not just that Christ loved us, but that He also gave. The second point that we can see is the cost of His love was Himself. You know, it was not just time, money, energy, um, some you know um, uh, some some small things. It was not even just sufferings. Just think about it. It was Himself. You know, the cost of His love was his, Himself. You know, the greatest act of love that anybody can give is an act of self-sacrifice for the life of another. another, You know, uh, Jesus, as He spoke um, um, to, the, to His disciples, He told them, you know, um, as, he, as he, talk, he spoke to them about being the true wine, He told His disciples to love one another. And then He says this verse, you know, greater love has no one than this, than... Somebody laid down his life for his friends. But you know, the love of Jesus was far more greater, right? His love was surpassing more greater. While we were sinners, while we were unworthy, while we had no nothing to save us, we see that Christ died for us. The cost was his, was Himself. The third point that we can see is, we are the recipients of His love, right? Notice the word us in this, in this uh, sentence, okay? Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Okay, we are the recipients of God's love. And that uh, fourth point is, God the Father was pleasing, uh, was pleased with this self-sacrificing act uh, of love. Um, see, you know, if you look at the Lord Jesus, he didn't have to die, right? But he chose to die. And because he chose to die to save humanity, this sacrifice that the Lord Jesus did was a plea was a pleasing aroma to God it was acceptable to God the Father you know in summary uh, god gave um it, uh, the Lord Jesus gave it, he gave it uh, himself um and we see that the father was pleased with all this and so what you know what is paul now trying to say you know we see We see the love of Christ here and what is this going to mean to us, right? Paul is encouraging us to walk in the same manner of love that Christ loved for us. Did you hear that, right? To walk in the same manner as Christ loved us. So basically, the same manner of love that Christ had, that He came down to earth, though He was God, He came down to earth and He died for us. That same manner of love. The same manner of love that Christ had for us that He died a painful, cruel, sacrificial death on the cross. That same manner of love, Paul is asking us to love. You know, the the um, the thought immediately came to my mind, and I'm sure it may be there in most of our minds: is can we love like Christ loved? Right? Can can we can we uh, reach to that level? So you know Paul in Ephesians uh, we have seen we have we have seen that as we have gone through Ephesians Paul continually speaks about the power of God and then as Paul ends his exhortation to them he prays for them and he prays for two specific things in regard to power so he prays two specific points and the first one he prayed was that God would strengthen them with power through his spirit in their inner being okay god would strengthen them with power and the second th- thing that he prays is that they would have the power to know this expanse of god's love okay so paul is praying for them for some some kind of a power to understand love and to love right and so my thought is like what kind of power is this okay this is the very power this is the very power that god used to reconcile the Jews and Gentiles, two irreconcilable ethnic groups that were at war with each other, God united through His Son. That is the power. Okay, this is the very power that God used to raise up Jesus from the dead, and to see Jesus in the heavenly power, in the heavenly places, and that is the power that is that 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 Paul is talking to talking to us about. And, you know, the the, the really good part of that is what Paul says at the end. He says, you know, that kind of power has been given to us. Okay, that kind of power is within us, working within us. And, you know, there is no excuse for us, right? If such a power is residing within us, we have no excuse. We can love the unlovable. You know, it's a challenge, but, you know, we have that power. So uh, just to summarize, um, what have we seen so far? We We saw that we need to imitate God as dear children of the Father. How? By walking in love, right? Walking in love, having a lifestyle of loving others, by showing forgiveness to others. And then you know what Paul does? Paul points us to the greatest example. Who? The Lord Jesus. He points us to the greatest example of love, the Lord Jesus, whose sacrificial Death on the cross was for us and was pleasing to the Father. He points us to that love and he tells us, you know, we need to imitate God in that manner. Paul is asking us to imitate God in loving others, in walking in love. And so in these first two verses, what we see is a positive kind of love. And now as we move to the next two verses, verse 3 and 4, we are going to see Paul telling us how not to walk, okay? How we should not walk, what is false love, okay? And that is what we are going to see in the next two verses. But before we reach there, let us put in some context, right? Um, Paul is writing to who? The Ephesus church, right? And if you remember, uh, uh, Ephes- uh, the Ephesus uh, was the very location of the temple of goddess Artemis. And this temple was filled with, Uh, temple prostitutes it was filled with filthiness it was filled with all kind of immorality okay in that context Paul is writing uh, this verse and he's saying but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints you know Paul lists down three sins here okay Paul lists down three sins which is not showing love And so let us define them to understand what we should not be doing. As Christians, this is not love. This is not what we should be doing. So the first term he used is sexual immorality, right? He talks about sexual immorality. You know, the Greek term "pornia" used here covers all sexual sins. It includes adultery, okay? Um, Those married having sexual acts outside of marriage. It includes fornication, those unmarried, even though they are unmarried, having sexual acts. It includes you know, homosexuality. It includes a host of sexual sins that this world has invented. And for us to be really clear and crisp, okay, where we fall off, okay, we need to understand what is sexual immorality for a Christian. Okay. Sexual immorality for a Christian is any sexual acts outside the bounds of a God-given marriage. Okay, any sexual acts outside the bounds of God's defined marriage is sexual immorality, and we need to avoid that. Okay, so what does the Bible say about sexual immorality? You know, we need to know what the Bible tells us about it, right? It says in um, uh, Paul, as he talks to the Corinthians, he encourages them to flee from this very kind of sin. Okay, he says, flee from this sin because this sin is against your own body, and he f- goes down further to say that. Uh, He goes down further to say that, you know, the Holy Spirit lives within us, resides within us. And if the Holy Spirit resides within us, how can we sin against this very body of ours? And so Paul tells us to flee from this sin. The second um, thing that Paul says is not love. He says it's all impurity. Okay, probably refers to all kinds of sexual impurity and perversion. And Paul is saying, um, any filthiness uh, in any uncleanness or filthiness in actions and thoughts is what we should be avoiding what we should not be doing you know there's a quote um, a welshman once said you know i cannot help it if a bird suddenly lands on my head right we cannot help that um but i can help it if it if it starts building its nest in my head okay so it's a thought to think about right suddenly you know um a sinful thought comes into our mind. A sexual thought comes into mind. Can We cannot suddenly, you know, say it should not come into the mind. It comes. Okay. That cannot be avoided. But what can be avoided is when we indulge it, right? We think about it. We enjoy it. We, you know, want to um, learn more about it or think more about it. Paul saying, avoid all uncleanness and filthiness in thoughts. Okay, so um, that is the second thing that Paul says. And then the third thing that Paul says is a sin that we should avoid is covetousness. Okay, what is covetousness? Generally, you know, covetousness, covetousness is, a, is an unquenchable uh, desire for worldly wealth, right? It is a jealous belonging for things that belongs to others. And in, when we look at it in a, um, in a general sense, it is more, you know, lusting after money. Right. But here in this context, it is in reference to, you know, an unsatisfiable greed uh, to, to satisfy our sexual appetite outside God given marriage. Right. We should not be doing that. And Paul even goes to say that this is I- idolatry. And he says that in verse five, we'll come to that a little later. So, what does the Bible tell us about covetousness? We need to know that. And so, Paul, uh, no, not Paul. Now, uh, we look at the Old Testament. Um, has, has God speaks to the Israelites, His chosen people. Remember, God is speaking to the Israelites, His chosen people, and He's telling them, okay, uh, as He gives the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet. Right? What all he says, you, should not, you, sh- you shall not covet. You shall not covet other people's wives, you shall not covet other people's properties, you shall not covet other people's things. Okay. We are called not to covet. And so Paul says this is something that we have to uh, avoid. So we are not to covet, we are to live content lives. Okay. And basically we have to find our fulfillment, we have to find our joy, we have to find our meaning and purpose in life in God rather than in things. And that is what Paul is telling us to do. You know, all these practices, you know, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness that Paul names here are practices, like I said, which do not depict sin in any way. And so Paul, you know, continues this verse by saying, this must not be named among you has is proper among the saints. Okay, so when Paul says this, okay, when Paul is talking about, he's not just saying that you know these practices should not be discussed or these practices uh, should uh, should not be talked about. Paul is saying far more than that. Paul is saying that you know if an outsider, if an outsider notices the life or watches the life of a Christian, he should not have the opportunity to name any one of these sinful practices as characterizing the life of a believer. Or if you look at it from an inside point of view, you know, if any of us church members should never see another fellow believer indulging in such sinful practices. You know, as Christians, you know, we have to guard our integrity. We have to guard our public Uh, reputation because, you know, this public sins, they dishonor God and God has chosen us. We saw this in Ephesians also. God has chosen us to be holy. He has chosen us to be blameless before him. And so just to summarize, you know, Paul is portraying in these verses actions, he's portraying in this verses practices that are not loving. You know, it is not loving to be covetous. It is not loving to be a sexually immoral person. It is not loving to be having impure actions. And Paul, you know, is trying to say these are all self, self-indulgent self acts. We should not be following them. So these are actions. There's another way that we can reveal love also. And that is through our words, right? We can reveal our love through words. And Paul again shows us what how we should love by what we should not do, right? He's going to give us again some other sins, showing us what we should not do and saying that is love, okay? So let's see them. Uh, Let's read verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And so Paul again, he lists down, Three uh, three uh, sins here, and it, but this time he's not talking about actions, he's talking about words. Okay, sinful speech. And Paul is saying that, you know, these sinful speeches should be avoided. You know, as Christians, our speech should demonstrate love. Okay, so in order for us to know what we should be avoiding, let's just quickly define these words. Number one, filthiness. Filthiness refers to dirty speech, any kind of shameful, disgraceful, or indecent language. Okay, and you know, basically, all speech that is unsavory, all speech that is unedifying, uh, idle, useless. You know, we should avoid them. Uh, second thing that Paul says is uh, we need to avoid foolish talk. Okay, so what is foolish talk? It is literally translated as uh, stupid words. Okay, meaning words that have no substance. You know, idle uh, words that have no meaning or value, which we should avoid. And the third thing that Paul says to avoid is crude joking. So this is dirty, vulgar joking, you know, which sometimes involve hidden meanings, double meanings. Okay. Um, but one thing that we, ne- we, should, we should not forget is that uh, we can enjoy good humor. right? Good humor is good. Uh, laughter is a gift from God. And so we can enjoy good humor. What Paul is trying to show here is, um, is showing about lewd and vulgar joking, joking, which is basically inappropriate for God's children. And so basically this, in this verse it's talking about bad languages which do not depict love and which we need to avoid. So then what, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Paul says, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You know, how can our mouths be a sweet, uh, uh, smelling aroma to the Lord, we can we can use our mouths for praising God. We can use our mouths for uh, giving thanks to God. You know, we as Christians should always be thankful. God has done so much for us, right? Think about it. Right? We have a hope for the future. We have eternal life. We have so much things that we can be thankful for. And so Paul is saying, "Let there be thanksgiving." Okay. There is another verse that I would like to uh, to, um, to read out is from Hebrew. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. You know, we are to imitate God's love by offering our words to Him, by offering words that give Him praise, that give Him glory. Okay. That is what we should be using our mouth for and not for filthy talks. And as we as we come here, let me summarize verse 3 and 4. And so this is summarized, you know, what is false love, you know, what we should not be involved in. So there is uh, actions of sexual sin, there is speech, sinful speech, words of uh, sinful speech. So these are things we should avoid, you know, actions which are not good, uh, speech which are not good. And Paul tells us, These are things that Christians should not be doing, right? So now, what is Paul going to do? In the next two verses, what Paul is going to say is, he's going to give us a direction of what will happen to those people who depict this false love. He's going to show us what happens to those whose lives are characterized by false love. So let's read uh, verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So Paul starts, you know, with, for you may be sure of this. Okay, what does that mean? He's trusting on the certainty of what he's going to say. And then Paul names the same three offenses that he has already given, that same three offenses, Paul names those. And the only thing different he says is, the covetous person is an idolater you know why is this covetous person an idolater you know because this covetous person he places his ultimate goal he places his ultimate priority in getting things that does not belong to him and when he is so covetous going after things okay there is a good likelihood of him falling into very sinful things and let's take a couple of examples from the bible to just illustrate that we remember about king david right King David coveted after Betsheba, that was Uriah's wife, and he coveted after her and he plotted and got Uriah killed. Another king, King Ahab, he coveted after the property of Naboth and again we see him and his wife Jezebel, they plotted against Naboth and had him killed in order to gain his property. You know, when we, combat, when we covet something, we are building that up as an idol. We are building that as an idol that we need to get at whatever the cost it is. And sometimes when we do that one, you know, that, that kind of um, intrude into our relationship with God. Okay, that thing comes the focus of attention. That thing comes what we have to gain. And it takes away our focus from God right our devotion to uh, devotion to god is moved from such things into coveting of things of the world and so paul says this amounts to idolatry so paul continues uh, the verse uh, with you know that covetous person immoral immoral person impure pe- people he says the second part of the verse have no inheritance in the kingdom of christ and god and when when paul says that they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He precisely means that. He means that those whose lives are characterized by such such bad, sinful practices, they have no place in God's kingdom. You know, these people are in their sin. They are lost and they are on the way to hell. But, you know, another thing is there also. Paul has already clarified to us, you know, about believers, the stance of believers. You know, believers have an inheritance with God, okay? They have been sealed by the Spirit for inheritance. And, in fact, Paul prays that they will become increasingly aware of their identity as has, you know. So, so basically, this verse is not a warning warning to believers. This verse is not a warning to believers that they have to be careful about their action. Otherwise, they will lose their inheritance. No, that's not the purpose of this one. Believers are saved. Believers have an inheritance with God. Believers can live in this world as kingdom citizen. They can serve in this world as kingdom citizens. On the other side, we see um, those whose lives are characterized by evil practices. Those people have no part in God's kingdom. And so Paul uh, continues he continues in verse six, saying, "Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." You know what? What is this empty words? You know, if you see that verse, it talks about empty words that we are deceiving the people. You know, the false prophets, um, false prophets in the in in that time, and even though now, you know, they pro, they propagate this false deception that. Christians, professing Christians, okay, professing Christians can lead unrepentant lives, can lead uh, sinful lives, even after conversion to God and and without any repentance, right? So they they are they are saying that you know you can live such sinful life, but you know let's look at it. Let's look at those two verses where in Revelation God speaks to the churches. He speaks to the churches of Pergamum and Thyatira, and God tells them. God tells them that they tolerate sexual immorality. They have false prophets who tolerate, you know, they tolerate false prophets who, who spread the lies that sexual immorality is allowed. Okay, and so Paul and God tells them that He would destroy them if they did not repent. So, uh, moving forward, you know, Paul also, let's look at the second part of the verse. Paul also says, you know, that these practices lead to the wrath of God in judgment. We see the word wrath of God, right? The wrath of God uh, is something that we see in the Old Testament also. In the Old Testament, we see that 24,000 Israelites were slain because they sinned with the woman of Moabites, right? They sinned and God slayed them. We see also in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, that, that city was wiped out with brimstone and fire from heaven because of homosexuality that was displayed there. Right, so God showed His wrath on these places, and if you look at the present time, is God's wrath there? It is still there, but maybe not in such supernatural acts. Okay, think about uh, the sinful practices that are happening. Think about the physical effects of such sinful ac- uh, activities. You know, sicknesses, AIDS. Think about the mental agony that that it causes. Right. All that is displayed in, in God's wrath. And in the future, in the future we will see the wrath of God, it will be displayed by God in the final judgment. And Paul uses uh, a term, they sons of disobedience. Okay? There will be no mercy on the sons of dis- disobedience. What is the meaning of sons of disobedience? You know, that's a Hebrew inspired phrase which describes people who live in habitual sin, who live without repenting. And because they live a, a life of habitual sin, because they live a life of unrepentance, they prove themselves to be the children of the devil. You know, this week I was reading from First John, and um, I just want to read a couple of verses um, from there. First John 3, 3, 8 to 10. No need to turn there. I'll just read a few parts from there. It says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Okay. Whoever practices sin is from the devil. It says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. Okay, what this verse actually tells us is that, if we are a child of God, we cannot make it a practice of sinning. It will not happen. And he goes on to say, "You know, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You know, Paul is concluding here, and as Paul uh, concludes, he t- he tells us, you know, the last column we see, he tells us what will become of those of the world. You know, those who practice sexual immorality, they will have no part in God's kingdom. Those who are involved in habitual disobedient sin without rep- repentance, they will face the wrath of God, and that will that is what how Paul you know concludes. So Paul. In the first two verses, he talks about true love, Christ's love that we need to imitate. He talks about what false love is and he also talks about what will become of those who practice false love. You know, before we go into the applications, you know, my prayer is that none of us fall into this category. Those people who walk in false love because we don't want to be in that place, right? So let me enter into the applications and the application are straight from the passage. Okay, walk in love. We are called to walk in love. That means there's a continuing action and these actions should be have practical steps, right? We see that the Lord, like we discussed about it, the Lord yeah. loved and His love was not just in words, His love was in actions and that is how we need to also love. You know, if you look at the first Cori- um, first Corinthians chapter 13 in in its whole, it's talking about, The way of loving, you know, it's a good, it's a good chapter for us uh, to meditate upon, um, to ponder over because, you know, even as I looked at it, you know, I felt there is so much things that I need to improve in, in terms of loving. Um, And this is a good chapter for us to even discuss in our cell groups, if you're having those that, you know, what do I want to depict more like God in loving? So, um, another part of loving is also, you know, putting off bad practices. In Colossians also, Paul uses the same kind of terminology. He says, you know, put off your old self with its bad practices, he tells them. And then he tells them, uh, you know, to put on the new self with its good practices. And after that, you know what Paul says? Paul says that, and above all these good virtues, he tells them to put on love. You know, love again is not just an emotion, it is something that we put on it's something like physical clothes. as we put on our physical co- clothes, we are to put on love. okay It involves a practical aspect of it. It involves something that we must do. We have to take a conscious effort towards it. The last part of that I wanted to bring about was the self sacrificial element of love, right It's easy to say love, but when it comes to the practicality of it it involves a cost right look at the lord jesus right it was not just god had to say that he loved he had to face the death on the cross the cruel death on the cross and that is going to be the same for each one of us in this world if we want to prof- if we want to show love okay it is going to be at a cost okay this is the love that we have to show to our families to our spouses it is a it is the same kind of love is what we have to show to our enemies you know it's something that we need to consider because it is going to involve a cost a cost walk in love has christ loved us and gave himself up for us that's a call for each one of us the second aspect is put to death what is not love okay this Colossian verse is a really beautiful verse because of how it describes it it says put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passions evil desires and covetousness which is idolatry okay i love the language put to death you know it is a very practical lang- uh, language right it it says that christians have to take a severe step they have to take severe actions in order to put away bad elements you know i had a friend uh, um, long back i uh, had a friend in north india and he had a boss uh, who always used filthy language in every sentence he used every sentence he had uh, he would use a bad uh, language and one time i was just talking with him and uh, you know invariably from his mouth that same language came out and this friend had to take a hard stance He had to take a hard stance to get rid of such evil practices. There is a cause that is involved. We have to take that severe action. Like Paul says here, you know, we need to put to death. But what we can remember is that we have the power of God within us to enable us. But we have to take that stance to put to death what is not love. I'm just going to end uh, with one last verse. Um, it's in Revelations 2.4. No need to turn to it, but Revelations 2.4. And this is, Paul, uh, this is God talking to the Ephesus church. And this is what God tells the Ephesus church. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. I have this against you, that you abandoned the love you had at first. Okay, this is God talking to the Ephesus church. You know, just imagine God talking that to me or to each any one of you that you have abandoned the first love. Okay, let that not be what God is speaking to us, you know. So we need to strive. So what is the end goal? We need to strive to imitate God in loving others, in loving God, in loving others. Remember the greatest commandment is love God and love others. It is, it is, it is joined together, right? We need to love God, we need to uh, love others. And so our goal should be to imitate God, by walking in love, having a lifestyle of love towards God and towards others. Let's end with a prayer. Our Father Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us, O oh Lord, um, to to discuss about your love, O oh Lord. Lord, as we as we were reminded, O oh Lord, that your love was a sacrificial debt, O oh Lord. Your loved your love involved not just words, Lord, it also involved actions, O oh Lord. You 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 went down from a position of power, Lord, to a position of weakness, even that on a cross, on a cruel cross, O Lord. And as we think about that love, we we are reminded, O Lord, of your command to love God and to love others, O Lord. And sometimes we we are reminded, O Lord, of how uh, deficient we are in that kind of a love that you want us to love, O Lord. Lord, help this to be our goal today and going forward that we imitate God that we imitate God in loving others, in showing an attitude of love to others, O oh Lord, in having a lifestyle that is built in us, O oh Lord, towards loving others, O oh Lord. We pray, Lord, that none of our actions would be as sinful, uh, would be the sinful actions that shows and depicts false love, Lord God. Lord, we pray that none of our speech should depict the dirtiness and falseness of what false love is, O oh Lord God. Lord, we pray specially, O oh Lord, that our speech should be thanksgiving. Our speech should be to praise and glorify you, Lord God, for all that you have done, O oh Lord. And we are thankful, Lord, for what you have done for us. You have given us a hope. You have given us eternal life, O oh Lord, and we are thankful for that, Lord. Lord, we are also reminded uh, today, O oh Lord, of uh, those of the world, O oh Lord, those who are, Walking in their sins and due to go to heaven or uh, to uh, to hell, oh Lord God. Lord, we pray for them, oh Lord. We pray that if there is any one of the people of the world in this room, oh Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would understand, they would comprehend the love of God the love that you, Lord Jesus, had for us, O Lord, the love the Father had for us, O Lord, that he sent his Son to die on the cross for us, O Lord. I pray that they would be able to comprehend that love and to understand and to come to know you and to accept you, O Lord. Let no one, O Lord, perish in the way that is mentioned, Lord. We thank you. We praise to you, Lord, that you are a God of love and that you ask us to imitate you in loving others, O Lord. Help us to be that go. Help us that that would be our goal for this week and through uh, the coming uh, months. So, Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Uh, Thank you, Lord, uh, for this time that you've given us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.